Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today, for letting us come into your space. We just want to let you know we have so many things going on, so we encourage you to check out our website to see what's coming down the pike. Make sure to like and subscribe so you can see more content coming in your feed from us. Enjoy the message. It is great to be with you. Man, my heart is just full um, and expectant. For our, for our time together. Pastor Nate and I just spent this last week in the Dominican Republic, just flew in last night late on a vision trip with Compassion International. So we got to see the amazing work that Compassion does in the area where, in areas where poverty has, has been such a stronghold, um, but now children and, and families are being impacted in every way um, by the love of Jesus. And I'm just so grateful we as a church get to partner with Compassion International. We have a, in Peru, our focus is in Peru. We have a Compassion Weekend coming up um, in about a month, um, and you will not want to miss it. We have just an exciting opportunity in Peru. We want to present and have a very special speaker. The former president of Compassion International, West Stafford, is going to be our speaker that weekend. It's going to be really, really fun. So that's in late March. You will not want to miss that. <clears throat> so we're in week four of a five-week mini-series entitled The Way of the Cross. And in these five weeks, we're slowing down in John chapters 18 and 19, and letting God speak to us from this very heavy section of scripture where we see Jesus' pathway to the cross. Many of us are fasting. We invited everyone who wanted to to fast from, from something during this time period, this month time period. We're also providing a devotional every week where you can um, spend some time, personal time in the passage that we're teaching on. You can access that on our app or, or, or website or there are copies out in the info area as well. Well, today we come to, we come to the passage that describes the pivotal moment in history where Jesus, who has been arrested and interrogated and beaten and mocked, is now handed over to be crucified. And John, who was there watching all of this happen, gives us an eyewitness account. So let's walk through this passage and let God speak to us in it. John 19, beginning in verse 16, finally, Pilate handed Jesus over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. A crucifixion was a very Roman way of killing someone. It was intentionally designed to be humiliating and cruel. In crucifixion, a person's arms would be nailed to a crossbeam, the nails going through their wrists, the crossbeam, and then they would be placed on a vertical beam to which their feet would be nailed. So the person is literally lifted up on a pole. The only way to breathe, the only way the person could breathe would be to pull your, yourself up by the nails in your wrists in order to get enough room to take a breath. And sometimes they would build a little shelf right under, right here so the person could could sit on that, but that was not because they felt sorry for the person. That was to actually extend the process so it took longer for the person to die. So the whole process was a horrible, slow, 
torturous way to die, sometimes lasting for days. And it was also designed by the Romans to publicly humiliate the victim. So the victim hung naked on, this, on the cross for all the world to see. So Jesus, after being horribly beaten, his skin torn apart from the flogging. He was then forced to carry the crossbeam to the execution site. And often the person would be taken, intentionally taken on the longest pathway possible through the streets, a long pathway through the, through the streets of the city. And that was another way the Romans wanted to humiliate the victim and also tell everyone else, this is what'll happen if you don't do what we want you to do. It was a power play. Verse 18, there they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. There's something about this verse that has captured my heart and my mind these past few weeks. John tells us that Jesus is in the middle of two sinners, two criminals whose lives and choices have brought them to this place, being tortured as punishment for a crime they committed, and Jesus is there in the middle of them. Where is Jesus when we fail? Where is Jesus when we suffer? Where is Jesus when we grieve, when we struggle with anxiety or depression or despair? He's right in the middle of it. He he is with us as one who suffered our punishment, our anguish, our pain, our loneliness. I heard someone recently say, on the cross, our afflictions were nailed and are nailed to Jesus' heart. On the cross, our afflictions are nailed to Jesus' heart. There is no place, no matter how dark or difficult, where Jesus is not willing to be with you. Two days ago, I was walking on the streets of Santo Domingo with um, a group from Compassion, and we were doing a home visit, and we were walking, it was downtown, walking down these, you know, stair, very tight stairwells and the smell of sewage all around us, and we finally got, got to this home. We were doing a home visit, so we got to this home where we meet this dear woman who, who lives, lives there, a single mom. I'm trying to raise three children she was obviously underfed. Her, her hand was injured, so she can't work. Um, and the, the home was a, and she's three months behind in rent. The home was a, the home um, was, or house, I mean, it was home, but it was, it was a metal lean-to with basically a room. And there was a sheet dividing the room to create space for her and her three children, the four of them to sleep on one bed. And thankfully, she is connected to a Compassion Church right nearby. It was just a five-minute walk, and, and, and they're helping provide for her kids. And we were able to give her this big bag of food and, and all of that. So she was receiving some help. But, but I've, been, I've been thinking about her a lot since, since Thursday. I've been thinking about her a lot and, and asking this question. Where is Jesus in her suffering? Well, John tells us 
Jesus is in the middle of it. He is there suffering with her. Wherever you are, whatever pain, guilt, shame, anguish, anxiety, depression that you carry, Jesus is right there in the middle of that. He is willing to be with you in that. This is the kind of God that he is. Verse 19, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross, which was a common practice to name the crime. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. <clears throat> Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. See, notice what John is doing here. He's letting us know that Pilate has written this sign declaring that Jesus is king of the Jews. John says that many Jews were reading this sign because this took place near the city. It's Passover. So there are all sorts of Jewish people there and, men, and, and they're seeing this. Plus, John tells us, it was written in three languages so that Jews, Romans, and Greeks could all read what it declares. The, the, the whole world is seeing this declaration that Jesus is king. And the irony is not lost on John. The, the religious leaders may have been able to get Jesus killed, but they are unable to silence his message. Even Pilate himself, the Roman governor, is unintentionally proclaiming to the world who Jesus really is. Jesus is king. Verse 23, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining this garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by a lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. So this is what the soldiers did. There's something about this that is so disturbing while Jesus is hanging naked on the cross, fighting for every breath just a few feet away, the soldiers who nailed his arms and feet to the cross are standing nearby and gambling for his clothing. Before Jesus is even dead, they are, they're, they're, they're figuring out who gets what piece of the only possession, physical possession that Jesus has left in this world. Now, even in the sinful callousness of this moment, John wants us to realize that what these soldiers are choosing to do was actually a part of God's plan. John quotes from Psalm 22 in the Old Testament where David, hundreds of years earlier, wrote a, a prophetic psalm that describes much of what happens to Jesus here on the cross. Check this out. This is from Psalm 22, written centuries before Jesus is crucified. Look at this. 
Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. As far as we know, those things didn't happen to David. No, the Spirit of God was moving David to write these words as a description of what will happen centuries later to the ultimate king of Israel. All of these things predicted centuries earlier are happening as Jesus hangs on the cross. And all of those, which means that all of those things that are happening have been on the heart and the, the mind and in the plans of God since the world began, which is amazing. Verse 25, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. This is, this is beautiful, what's happening here. Clearly, these women are there because of love. They're there because of love. They, they can't do anything to fix this. They can't do anything to stop this from happening. But they're there. Love compels them to stay and be near, as near as they possibly can, to be near to Jesus in his suffering. You know, sometimes love is most powerfully demonstrated in a willingness to simply be with someone in their pain. I was with some friends the other the other day who, who lost spouses, both of them had lost spouses to death. And, and we were talking about how so often people feel the need to say something profound to a grieving person. And often what they say isn't helpful. I mean, the reality is there is nothing we can say to make things better. So sometimes it's better to not say anything and to just give them a hug or sit with them. I remember a powerful little book by a guy named Joe Bailey who had lost two, I believe, two of his sons in death. And in this book, the last thing we talk about, he, he writes of his own experience. Here's what he says. I was, I was sitting torn by grief. Someone came and talked to me of God's dealings, of why it happened, of hope beyond the grave. He talked constantly he said things I knew were true. I was unmoved, except to wish he'd go away. Another came and sat beside me. He didn't talk. He didn't ask leading questions. He just stayed beside me for an hour and more. Listened when I said something, answered briefly, prayed simply, left. I was moved. I was comforted. I hated to see him go. You know, I, I think we all could learn from the women at the cross. Sometimes the most powerful ministry we can have is to simply be with someone in their suffering. No answers, no solutions, just our presence. Verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. 
and to the disciples, or to the disciple, here is your mother. From, from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Now, this interaction is so powerful at multiple levels. For one thing, it is staggering to me that Jesus, as he suffers excruciating pain, is concerned about his mom. And he's taking specific steps to make sure that his mother is taken care of. And I'm, I'm in awe of, of the compassionate, tender, loving heart of Jesus, even as he's suffering. I mean, when I'm suffering, when I've got the stomach flu, you know, and I'm pondering how to either end my life so that I don't have to throw up again, I'm not thinking about anyone else except me and how I can survive this, <laughs> right? How I can alleviate my pain. To see Jesus' heart for his mom in the midst of his own agony is so beautiful and so powerful. In everything Jesus does and says, he shows us what love looks like. But I think there's something else going on here as well that I want to highlight. John, Jesus is asking John to treat Jesus' mom like he would his own mom. So in a, in a sense, Jesus, right here, he is establishing a new family that goes beyond blood relationships. You know, so often we see Jesus' crucifixion through the narrow lens of our individual selves. He died for me. He died for my sins so they can be forgiven. All that's true, but it's incomplete. It's incomplete. Jesus died in order to create a new community of people who love each other the way he loves, the way he did. Remember, just a day earlier, it was, it was five, six chapters earlier in the book of John, but in, in, in terms of the, the time period, it was just a day earlier, Jesus had washed his disciples' feet, and then he, he said to them, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. See, Jesus is intent on creating a new community of people because of his love for them. To, to, and, and, and he wants to create this new community of people who, because of their love for him, will choose to love one another, like family, like family. And then this is why one of, one, of, one of the three core parts of our purpose statement as a church is as a thriving family. It's who we want to be, right? The imagery of family is so crucial to the kind of church we are committed to, to pursuing and being. I mean, family speaks of of authenticity, right? Authentic love and serving one another and, and caring for one another and listening to one another and challenging one another and, and, and being with one another in suffering and in joys. So Jesus died on the cross in order to establish his family here on earth. And he is speaking from the cross um, for this family, he's catalytically speaking to John and his mom to see that this family happens. This, this broader than blood relationships, this, this family happens. And so if you happen to be feeling a bit isolated in your spiritual journey, you kind of feel like you're doing this on your own, I encourage you to consider joining a group or starting a small group. We can help make that happen. We want everyone, let's, let's do this journey with Jesus together. We don't want to do it alone.
Let's do it together with others. Verse 28, later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it up to Jesus' lips. In, In fulfillment of another Old Testament prophecy, Jesus says, I'm thirsty. And he's given vinegar wine, which was, it was not like wine today. It was really just a very common form of drink in that day. So the, the language John is using here in verse 28, talking about Jesus knowing that everything is now finished, points to the climactic moment in this passage. Verse 30, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Notice how right up to the end, John is making it clear that this is all Jesus' choice. Jesus doesn't say, or John doesn't say Jesus died. No, John says Jesus gave up his spirit. This word is often translated delivered, as in delivering something to someone else. Jesus is choosing to give up his life for a very specific purpose. And this purpose, Jesus declares, is finished. It is finished. The work is done. My purpose is now fulfilled. So what exactly does that mean? It is finished. That's a really important question because I think a lot of Christians, intellectually, we know it is finished. We believe it is finished, but we aren't necessarily living and it is finished life. And the difference between those two things, experiences, is huge. So let's talk about this for a few minutes here. Well, what exactly does Jesus mean when he says it is finished? You know, to use this kind of language speaks of a plan, right? Of something being accomplished, something being completed. When you finish a home project, it's done. You clean up, right? You put the tools away. You now, you enjoy what is now finished, but some of us, you know who, we, we know who we are, let's say it that way. Some of us are unable to enjoy what is finished because we feel like there's always something else that needs to be done. So we keep tweaking and we keep fiddling with and we keep redoing. I'm currently in the, in the final writing stages of a book that is focused on experiencing intimacy with Jesus. And I, I've written the entire manuscript, but every time I look through it, I find things that need to be changed uh, and all of that. And, and, and or for those of you who paint, maybe some of you paint, for those of you who paint, maybe you experience a similar thing. As, you, as, as you're trying to finish a painting, when do you finally step away and put the brush down? Like, when do I stop my editing and submit the manuscript to the publishing process? I mean, when is it finished? See, for some of us, these analogies I'm talking about here accurately describe our spiritual experience, our yearning for God's love and acceptance. We, we, you know, we feel that whatever we do, we yearn for God's love and acceptance, but, but deep in our hearts, we feel like whatever we do is never enough. We never feel worthy. We never quite feel accept, acceptable to God. We can never really relax in our relationship with him because we feel like we haven't done enough. We haven't prayed enough. We haven't avoided sin well enough. We haven't followed God well enough. I mean, not enough, not enough. That, that's the oppressive cloud that some of us continually live under. 
Now we might say, oh, that's just perfectionism, but actually it's deeper than that. It's ultimately about fear and insecurity. It's about fear and insecurity. Why would God accept me? Why would God love me? And so we, really, we try really hard to answer that question either through spiritual performance, oh, look at what I did, or we just settled for a life of feeling distant from God. And, and so back to this question, when Jesus said, it is finished, what did he mean? See, throughout the, the, our journey in the book of John, we have seen Jesus. There are a few times Jesus specifically says that he's going to lay down his life for us. John 10, 11 is one example. Look at this. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, Jesus sees, he knows that a crucial part of his mission is the sacrificing of his life on our behalf. He is going to give his life for us. Okay, now as Pastor Mariana so powerfully described last week, what's happening here is rooted in the whole celebration of Passover, which is going on at, at Jerusalem right at this time. And during Passover, in each family, an unblemished lamb would be sacrificed, symbolically giving its life as a substitute for the people's sin, for all the ways that they failed to God and fallen short. So for centuries, for centuries, the Jewish people had been participating in this, this symbolic ritual of sacrifice. As a tangible reminder, I believe God gave them this sacrificial system to teach them something as a tangible reminder of their need for cleansing, their need for forgiveness. But it was never enough. It was never enough. Even as the Jewish people were, were participating in this sacrificial system, there was this theme in, in, the, in the Old Testament, this theme scattered throughout the Old Testament of God's suffering servant who, who one day would come and take upon himself the full punishment, the, the, the full consequences of our sin once and for all. He would voluntarily choose to be the ultimate sacrifice ending the need for a sacrificial system of continual, symbolic continual cleansing. And this is why earlier, all the way back in John chapter one, we looked at this almost a year ago, when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he declares, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This Lamb of God language speaks of the sacrifice Jesus will make. He will die as the ultimate, as our ultimate sin substitute. He will take away all of our sin. Think about that. Jesus died on the cross to take away all the guilt and the shame of our sin, to completely remove from us the oppressive burden of not being enough not being good enough, not being holy enough, not being spiritual enough, not being, you know, not being spiritual enough to be loved and accepted and delighted in by God. See, when, when Jesus cries out on the cross, it is finished. What he's saying is, you can put the paintbrush down. You, you can stop trying to make yourself acceptable. And, 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 and trying to earn a place at his table. No, you don't have to try and earn a place at his table. It is finished. 
When you, when you place your trust in Jesus, the sacrifice, when you place your trust in his work, you are welcomed to his table as beloved sons and daughters of his. I mean, my kids, who are all adults now, are always welcome at our table, always. They can, they can even show up uninvited, start grabbing food out of the fridge, and I don't care. I don't mind. In fact, I love it. I love it because I love them. I love being around them. They're mine. All that is mine is theirs. And I delight in them enjoying that reality, that relationship. See, the cross is God's ultimate love gift to us. Him choosing to take upon himself the consequences of our sin so that we could be freed to actually enjoy his love. <laughs> to enjoy his love. You know, sometimes, I get a little theological here, but I think this is really important. Sometimes I hear people describe what happened on the cross in this way, I'm summarizing it, but this is how it kind of, this is sort of what they say. God was angry at us because of our sin and he was gonna kill us, but he chose to kill Jesus instead. And now he loves us instead of being angry at us. But in John's account, I wanna just, I wanna unpack that a little bit because in John's account, it is clear who killed Jesus. It was the Roman soldiers and the Jewish leaders. God did not kill his son. He lovingly allowed his son to be our substitute, taking upon himself the consequences of humanity's sins. Now, this is really important because what this means is that the cross, listen carefully, the cross does not re represent, it does not represent a, a moment in time when, when an angry God suddenly becomes a loving God. No, no. <laughs> The cross is this crucial moment in time when we vividly see God's forever love on display. He is not changing. <laughs> we see his forever love on display. We, on the cross, we vividly see the lengths to which God the Father will go in order to demonstrate his love for his creation. See, the cross is God's ultimate way of saying, I love you and I have always loved you. It is now finished. You no, no longer have to live under a cloud of not enough. Jesus is enough. He is my love gift to you. So rest in that love. Raid my refrigerator. You always have a seat at my table. Everything I have is yours. Stop trying to earn my love. Stop trying to make yourself acceptable. Live in the glorious reality that it is finished. See, the cross is this beautiful and staggering reminder to us that Jesus is with us in our suffering and that he is for us forever. It is finished. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That it is finished. So I want to invite us into a, a couple of responses here, just as we're processing what we've just heard in this passage. 
I want you to, as you're quieting your heart, maybe closing your eyes, I want you to take a moment and in the quiet of your heart, just look at the cross. Look at your crucified Savior. See him hanging on the cross. He is with you in your suffering. He is with you in your pain. He is with you in your failure, in your guilt, your shame, your grief. Your affliction is nailed to his heart. And I want you to just let that truth sink in for a moment. God, we cannot, it's just so hard for us to fathom that Jesus, you would suffer. We say, where is God when we're suffering? He's right here in the middle of it. Thank you. Thank you for being a God who was willing to be in the middle of our anguish, in the middle of our suffering and our disappointment, and our doubts, and our confusion. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for being that kind of a Savior and having that kind of a heart for us when we struggle, when we suffer. Thank you, Jesus. So the second, second response, I want to just invite some of us into here. You may be still thinking about that first one, which is totally cool. Just let Jesus love you in that place. But there are others of us here. I want you to think about this question. Are you living in it is finished reality or a never quite enough reality? And as you're thinking about that question, again, I want you in the quiet of your heart, just look with the, 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 your imagination, the mind, your, your mind, your sanctified imagination, just look at the cross. And I want you to hear Jesus say from the cross, it is finished. It is finished. So where is he inviting you to put the paintbrush down and to let him love you right where you are. Let's just let him do that. God, would you help us through the presence and power and love of your spirit that's poured out into our hearts, would you help us more and more live in the reality of it? It is finished. We are welcome at the table, at your table. We are welcome. <laughs> we are welcome to raid your refrigerator, God. We are welcome to the fullness of your kingdom. 
as beloved sons and daughters. And there's nothing we can do to make you love us any more than you do right now. It's finished. It is finished. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You know, I want to give a, just a, a simple invitation here, but there may be some of you here and maybe you've been to church or maybe church is new to you or maybe you have some perceptions of God or Christianity that you got to try really hard and go to church all the time and try to be a good person and keep your nose clean, all that stuff. Maybe you have just this idea of these rules that Christianity is kind of about being a nice person and try to be a better person. That's not it. If that was it, Jesus didn't have to die on the cross, <laughs> Right? That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about Jesus providing a way for you and me in the midst of our failures and sins, not to try to clean up our lives and make ourselves acceptable. No, Jesus provides a way for act to actually receive his forgiveness and his love and his presence as a gift. We don't have to earn it. We receive it by faith. Bible says just receive it by faith. So I want, I want to invite you. Maybe you're, you're here and you're like, I, I don't know, or you're watching this and you're like, I, I don't know if I've ever done that. Or maybe that's totally new to me. I've never understood that. Well, I'm so glad that you are here. I'm so glad you're watching this because Jesus is inviting you. In, he's inviting you to the table. He is inviting you into his family. Not through your own effort, but his effort, his work on the cross. So if this, if that's the desire of your heart, would you just pray along with me? I'm gonna lead a simple prayer. Pray along with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I know that I am a sinner. And all of my efforts to kind of clean up my life will not work. They haven't worked. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And I choose right now to place my trust in you alone, Jesus. I believe in you. I trust you. I bring to you all of my failure and doubts and questions and fears and all of that. And in exchange, I leave that with you. And in exchange, I receive your forgiveness, complete forgiveness and your love and the adoption, being adopted into your family as your beloved son or daughter. Thank you for welcoming me to the table. And I pray, Lord, for anyone who prayed that prayer, I pray they would grow in the joy of being your beloved sons and daughters. And they would live in the more and more, in the, and for all of us to live more and more in the fullness of it. It is finished lifestyle. And it is finished relationship with you. We love you, God. We love you, God. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. So the worship team is gonna just lead us in a time to enjoy the Lord's presence and worship him. And while they do that, every week in this five-week series, we have the Lord's Supper available. And I, I wanna invite you at any point during the worship to go to a table. You're welcome 
at his table. <laughs> go to a table. There are some at the back. There are some up front here. Go to a table and receive the elements, the bread, which represents his body given for you, and the, and the juice, which represents his blood that he shed for you and me. And as you, as you partake of those, I, I want to encourage you just to even say in your heart, it is finished. Let's receive afresh the it is finished reality of the cross. You are always welcome to eat and drink of Jesus at the Father's table. He delights in you. <laughs> he delights in you being in his family. God, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your love that is poured out for us on the cross. And we praise you for that, God. And we receive the fullness of this truth that it is finished. Thank you for loving us that much, God. We love you back. We love you back. So wherever you're at after this message, um, if you've been prompted or something is just stirring in your heart and you want to talk about it or you need prayer, we are here for you. You can go to our website. There's a chat button on there um, and we have people there that would love to pray with you, process with you. Um, also, just an FYI, we do have a supplemental devotional for this five-week series that we're in, The Way of the Cross, and you can click the link below or go to our website um, and download that. So we hope you guys have a great week.